get rid of the shit private lenders out there. Right. So how would you define that? So what would you say is a shit private lender? I would never say any names. Yeah, yeah. I'll never ever say any names. A private lender says, oh, I, I don't want to renew your mortgage anymore. Go pay it out. They know you can't pay it out. You can't go to another right. mortgage company. They don't want to pay an extra quarter point. I mean, they want to take it off their books completely. And somebody else is going to charge them 3% on the transaction, charge them you know, a 12% rate on the first. It doesn't make sense. These guys got to go. And these guys, I just do not want to even see them in the marketplace anymore. They don't deserve to be in the marketplace. This is not called mortgage brokering. This is not mortgage lending. And they shouldn't be here. They shouldn't be operating at all. And by the way, they don't get any of my business. I just see their articles and everything else. I keep a close eye on everything that they do. But mm -hmm. if I could wave a matched wand and get rid of anybody, it would be those guys. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Danny Abraham. Danny is a mortgage broker based out of Ottawa. I've been in the business for 17 years and actually started out in the U.S. as a mortgage broker loan officer. And a couple of interesting things about my conversation with Danny. First off, he actually does mortgages in Dubai, which is absolutely fascinating to me because I have not met anybody who's told me they do mortgages in Dubai. It's a very interesting conversation. Also on this episode, I talked to Ben McCabe from Bloom about using a reverse mortgage as a bridge in retirement. I think you're gonna enjoy that conversation. Before I jump into that, let me give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo's a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. It's very easy for them to use. Some of the cool features they have are smart submission notes. So some of the folks that I've talked to that have moved over to Velocity recently said, what I love is that I don't have to write a whole lot of notes. It's literally pulling key data. I make a couple edits, hit the send button. The whole idea is to make it really, really easy for you to uh, send files into your lenders. Check them out at lendescom slash Finmo and check out this conversation with Danny. Hey, Danny, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Scott. Happy to be here. So I'm quite excited to chat with you. We were chatting for turn on the recorder and you have some very interesting things you got going on, which we will get to all of them. But maybe before we do that, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage biz. Yeah. Okay. It was a really exciting journey getting into the mortgage business. I started off in Newport Beach, California. I was driving a Nissan Maxima. It was a 2005 roll down windows and this Ferrari pulls up right beside me. And I looked over at the guy and I asked him, hey, man, what do you do? And he smiles at me, crumples up his business card and throws it in my window. I opened it up and it said, I'm not going to say the name of the mortgage company, but it said a mortgage company on it. So I started doing my research about mortgage companies. And that's the way I got into the business. That's hilarious. And so currently, you tell me that your company, what's, it, what's your company called? Key Rate Mortgage. Key Rate Mortgage. And so you guys are in Canada, you're in U.S., and in Dubai, which the Dubai thing is just absolutely fascinating to me, which is cool. So tell me about like your path from that crumpled up business card to starting your mortgage company in Toronto, I guess, or no, sorry, Ottawa, you said you're not Ottawa. Yeah, Ottawa and Toronto. You know what, man, it was a fascinating journey. It was a lot of hustling, hard work, negotiation. Early on from the States, after the crisis happened in 2007 and eight, I left, I went to Dubai. I started working there for about two and a half years also in the mortgage field. I knew that mortgages was the only career path I wanted to get into. So I had no part-time job, nothing at all. My main focus was just mortgages. After Dubai, I came back to Canada. I started working for 
uh, National Bank of Canada. I became top producer within a matter of two years. Here's a good one. I got rejected from TD. I got rejected from CIBC. I got rejected from a Ottawa firm right here was pretty much well-recognized mortgage brokerage. I got rejected from a small mom and pa shop mortgage brokerage. And the main reason was, is that I have no mortgage experience in Ottawa, Canada, or Toronto. And that's the reason why they never wanted to hire me. I even told them this, I'm like, you see my whole credentials in California and Dubai, but you don't want to hire me. Anyways, one guy took the chance on me. Uh, he was the vice president of mortgage banking for National Bank of Canada. Mm -hmm. And he gave me the job. So that's when I got into the mortgage business. So I was top producer on the second year. I was uh, number five. And then the third year, I was number one. The fourth year, I was number one in Canada. And then I decided, you know what? Let me leave the bank and start doing mortgage brokering from what I knew in Los Angeles. And that's so where did you where, get your clients? So when you got into the National Bank, what path did you get to get to their number five in the first? This is the most interesting thing. I mean, we used to get paid 55 basis points per file. And by getting paid 55 basis points per file, we would give 50 basis points to the real estate agents as a referral fee. That was fully allowed. Everybody knows about it throughout the whole country, except for Quebec. I don't think Quebec uh, had that program. But any real estate agent that you're dealing with, you would cut them I out of check. National Bank. I think they have that now. I think but that was they have that now. Ago. That was like the ace in my pocket. I never used to advertise it. All the agents knew about it from past mortgage uh, MDMs yeah. inside business development managers inside of National Bank. But that gave me my stardom. I mean, I used to give those referral checks all the time. They used to send me so much business. They used to pay for their marketing expenses. It paid for a lot for real estate agents. They were my bread and butter. After I left National Bank, it was a little bit difficult. I'm not going to lie. There was a lot of real estate brokers that were more interested in the check than actually the business itself of the service that you're giving. But the ones that stuck with me are absolutely very successful. And the ones that didn't and stayed with that National Bank model, well, you can see their numbers on the board whenever I get them every single year. They're not within the top caliber that they used to be when they were working with me. So service in this industry is the most important thing. If you service your clients properly and your real estate partners, you're going to be very, very successful. But that was my path. I went to the broker level. I didn't like the brokerage that I was in. Then I opened up my own independently owned and operated brokerage in 2017. And that's what led me on to where we are today. Right. Awesome, man. Okay, so tell me about your path to Dubai. You went to Dubai after LA, but then how did you get into mortgages in Dubai? That's question one. Question two is, we touched on this before we turned on the recorder, how do mortgages work? Because I've had people from the UK, Australia, so you're the first person I've ever talked to that I even knew that mortgage brokering was a thing in Dubai, although it would be an amazing market. I can imagine they've got preferred tax treatments and all sorts of things. And so I think it's a fascinating thing. So tell me about that. Yeah, so... I'll tell you about, you know, in 2008, when I started in Dubai, the company was called Tamwil. It was a public joint stock company owned by the king of Abu Dhabi. We were managed by them. We had about $40 billion under management. We were only specifically doing Sharia mortgages, which is like you charge through the profit rate and it's not an interest rate. But how essentially it works, just to keep it short, if you were to amortize a mortgage for 15 or 20 years and you put a rate of... 3%. That 15 years or 20 years of interest that you're paying throughout that duration, that would be your down payment. And then after your mortgage payments will start off at 0% and you're paying full principal, but essentially your down payment is the full interest up at the front. This sparked 
That's interest really interesting. With, Are they still do it that way? Yeah, they still have that option. I think there's one company here that does it in within Toronto and Ottawa or Ontario, if you want to call it. But this is the best deal if you were supposed to be getting a mortgage or rental property in Canada, because you're actually, you could write off that full interest and depreciate that cost on your rental property. Right. But you didn't have that option in Dubai. They changed it all up right now. So, you know, expats, non-residents that are choosing to buy a property in Dubai can get financing. They don't care about interest rate. Own- interest is not like against their, you know, religious beliefs, right? Correct. Yeah. A lot of people are switching out to that way. I mean, even if it's their religious belief or not, they're finding out conventional mortgages are better than Sharia mortgages, even though if they have to pay such an interest in the long run. So they categorize it as profit rate and interest rate. Profit is Sharia. Interest rate is just a regular conventional mortgage. So just for the broker world in Dubai, how it works is if you're doing a transaction with home trust, let's say self-declared, six-month bank statements, passport copy, letter of employment, pay stub, that's exactly how a mortgage works in Dubai. And they'll go up to 80% financing for a expat. DCR ratios, almost the same thing. They go 50-50 or sometimes even up to 55%. But you know, the travel and tourism is so high in Dubai. There's so much growth there that, yeah, they're willing to expand. They're willing to give out money. And they're willing to have expats move there on a consistent basis. So the volume is going to be great. We touched on this, Scott, just a little bit about, I guess, you know, the Russians, how they're going in and selling off their cryptos. And then they're buying residential properties for cash. Well, right now they're refinancing all those properties and pulling out the equity. It's a perfect time to get in that business. Right. It'd be a great time to go to Dubai. Okay. So I got to go back to the beginning of this because this is interesting. So let's say I'm buying a place for a hundred thousand and I'm I'm got a Shirai mortgage and it's 3% interest. So it's three grand a year. Let's say it's 15 years, that would be $45,000 would be my down payment. Would that be correct? That's right. And then I would get a $100,000 mortgage with no interest. Is that still being done or is that now being replaced by these other types of products? Is that still a product that's... um, That's still being done. That's still being done. Yeah. So Sharia mortgages still exist. That's how they get done. So how do you determine loan to value with that? So like, do you have to put down money on top of that? So let's say if the property was... If you want a $100,000 mortgage and you got to pay the $45,000, let's say, in prepaid interest, do I need to put down money as well to make it conventional? So how would that work? If you're the bank, you already made your 50% profit right out at the front. So would they finance it 100% then, essentially? So that Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's $100,000. You're financed at 100% financing. That was that whole shamble in 2000. I think it was nine and 10. I don't know if you ever had that. I don't uh, know this. I don't know. Use. What, tell me what you're going to say. I don't think I know because this is something I haven't seen before. So people were taking the keys of their car, dropping it off to their manager desk, leaving the cars at the airport and taking off because they couldn't afford their mortgage payments any longer. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a foreclosure law. If you missed one monthly payment, you would go to jail. In Dubai. In Dubai. They changed that all right now. But this was back in 2010. It was pretty crazy. People were so scared. They're dropping off their cars. They couldn't make payments anymore on their cars. They couldn't make mortgage payments on their houses. The houses dropped down by like 60%. You could pick up homes out there for like 30 cents on the dollar, buildings for 20 cents on the dollar. It was absolutely chaotic. So everything got repaired since then. So now it's like 10 times better. Everything is running very smoothly and perfectly. A big bank here in Canada, HSBC. HSBC is available in Dubai. I mean, you could go to HSBC branch or one of the mortgage brokers that works with HSBC and you could get a conventional mortgage up there. If you're a Canadian citizen wanting to buy a place in Dubai, all you need is your job letter from a Canadian company that you work for. 
20% down on a property and six months bank statement showing that you have deposits from your payroll account going in. And you don't even need to verify where your down payment came from. You could just transfer it over to the bank that you're financing the property with and you got your house. What kind and of what is that price like for about Dubai? five years? Same thing like Toronto. I would say it's priced very similar to Toronto. A two bedroom condo is about uh, 1.6, 1.5 million if you're around the business bay area. If you're okay, a little bit on the outskirts, American? American? 1.5 Canadian. I'm talking Canadian. Yeah, Canadian. I'm talking all Canadian. 1.2 to 1.3 million if you were going on the outskirts for like a very, very nice two bedroom. If you're looking around for like a three bedroom villa on the Palm Jumeirah, you're around like the 6 million Canadian mark, five to 6 million. It's very comparable to Toronto. Very comparable. Right. Yeah. Dubai is beautiful. UAE is a beautiful country. Dubai is a beautiful city. It's vibrant. It's growing. There's a lot of expats there. There's people from England, Switzerland, Monaco, New Zealand, Australia, Canadians, Americans, you name it. There's 180 nationals living in Dubai. Wow. You see everybody there. I've got to go there at some point. I want to go check this out. So you touched on something when you said about prepaying that interest and you can write the whole. So walk me through that. What's the angle? This I never done it. You've never done in it. Okay, Canada. Let's walk through the mechanics of how it yeah. can work because you've got my like, you know, my spidey senses tingling on something here. So explain this to me about prepaying the interest and then depreciating the properties. So let's say you got an investor that bought a million dollar property. On a conventional mortgage, 20% down, it's an $800,000 mortgage. His rate is about, I don't know, what's the rate these days? 6% with home trust? Yeah. Let's call it six, whatever the case is, 599, 699. I don't know, your mortgage payments are, let's call it $5,400 a month. You're paying $4,500 towards interest. You could write down that interest every single month against your mortgage payments, against the property itself on your T1 generals. Well, think about it this way. If you did a Sharia mortgage, but you're taking a 20-year amortization and you're paying that whole interest up in the front, I think you could amortize that full interest every single year and reduce the principal of the property every single year. But you're reducing it by, I mean, do it, calculate it, 0% on 800,000. It sounds like it works to me. I think yeah, it, I gotta this run is more of a question with an accountant. I'm just interested accountant. in the mechanics of it. That's fascinating to me. Just I've to never done it. Yeah. It's the development of financial products that creates markets. Like you said, the financial products in Dubai previous to they made this change was they were, you know, restrictive. They were back before corporations existed. You go to debtor's prison. If you started a business and it didn't go well, they're throwing you in jail, just like they did in Dubai. And the financial products that we today, like the bond market, there's a guy I remember listening to a podcast with a guy who basically invented the bond market. And it's like, now we take it for granted, like it's just the bond market, but somebody invented this financial product and that financial product created a ton of, you know, opportunity for a lot of other people and a lot of companies. And so I find the concept of designing financial products fascinating to me. And there's stuff coming still that probably the best products don't even exist yet. Stuff that we haven't thought about is still around the corner, you know. hundred percent. Yeah. It's crazy to even imagine. And, you know, we're stuck in our bubble in Canada. We're doing our best for all our clients, obviously. But then after you just forget about, you know, here's another creative angle that you could work at. This is uh, something completely different that we've never heard of. That is it even possible? Yeah. Check out with the accountant, Scott. Let me know. And if it works, maybe uh, you and I will do something. <laughs> we'll do something. Yeah, I, I'm going to check. Okay. So we'll go back to the story. So, okay, you got a mortgage. So just again, last thing on the Dubai conversation. So what is the pay like on mortgages in Dubai compared to Canada? Anywhere between two to 6%. Right. Okay. 
yeah, that's bonkers. And then you're talking on large mortgages too, right? You know, large mortgage size. And uh, are there many lending options there? You know, as a broker, do you have like a bunch of options or is there limited? Yeah, you have uh, five banks that we work with out there. Right. I'll be there on uh, Sunday if anybody wants to follow my journey on Instagram. Just go Danny Ibrahim underscore mortgage. And then you can just see uh, my journey with all the banks. How are you banks. heading out there now? Once a quarter. Yeah. That's cool. Once a okay. quarter. I have my business partner out there. She handles everything and I could really be hands off. But when we're dealing with the banks and the meetings we're having, I prefer to be there. So once a quarter is good and just check out on the team. Right. That's fascinating. Okay. So very cool, man. Had the mortgage business now for some time. And so what's like your, been your biggest challenge in the last year? I mean, everybody said the market slowed down, but what for you is, have you found to be the biggest challenge? Being a broker, running a brokerage, being a principal broker processing files, you're always running around. The biggest challenge, I can't pinpoint it on one thing. It's almost everything. Everything's a challenge right. when it comes to the application process, when it comes to managing the brokerage, when it comes to you know holding somebody else accountable for their actions. We live in a very challenging business, but it's very, very rewarding in the end. I really can't pinpoint one challenge that I had, but one of the biggest challenges this year so far was actually relicensing every single agent and making sure they understand what agent one, agent two, being a broker right. or a principal broker is. I think everybody in the whole mortgage industry was very confused about that. This year, no, if no, I'm no, saying this no, is the only challenge. Listen to this, but they don't always make things really clear. It's sort of like, yeah, they no. throw it up there and then it's like, what? Well, so let me ask a different question might, then. So no, if you could wave, wave a magic wand and you could fix one thing in your mortgage business instantly, what would that be? I'm curious. Um, get rid of the shit private lenders out there. Right. So how would you define that? So what would you say is a shit private lender? I would never say any names. Yeah, yeah. I'll never ever say any names. A private lender says, oh, I, I don't want to renew your mortgage anymore. Go pay it out. They know you can't pay it out. You can't go to another right. mortgage company. They don't want to pay an extra quarter point. I mean, they want to take it off their books completely. And somebody else is going to charge them 3% on the transaction, charge them you know, a 12% rate on a first. It doesn't make sense. These guys got to go. And these guys, I just do not want to even see them in the marketplace anymore. They don't deserve to be in the marketplace. This is not called mortgage brokering. This is not mortgage lending. And they shouldn't be here. They shouldn't be operating at all. And by the way, they don't get any of my business. I just see their articles and everything else. I keep a close eye on everything that they do. But mm -hmm. if I could wave a magic wand and get rid of anybody, it would be those guys. Right. That sounds more like a, not a wand, more like a, a machine gun. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, hey, my wand shoots bullets. <laughs> you spend too much time yeah, in the US, like my that. friend. I'm just kidding. That's really interesting. I'm in a yeah, democratic state. state. What's that? I said, I'm in a democratic state, California. Right. I'm not in Florida. So, you know, when I look at it, I think the biggest challenge is just hiring the right people. Like, I mean, you got processes to build, but the challenge is you get the right people and they'll build you great processes. If you get the wrong people, even if you have great processes, they're just going to break them and not follow them. And so to me, it all comes back to like team. And the thing I obsess about is trying to, how do I identify them? How do I cultivate them? You know, that's my focus. Scott, do you know that every single broker that we hired in this brokerage, starting from my number one, that's been with me forever, every single person I gave them a challenge exam before joining the brokerage and they all have to pass over 90%. I don't have any challenges with my brokers that are inside the office. Yeah. So I'm not talking about agents. I'm talking about like staff, like support staff and stuff. Yeah, I fully agree. That's a good idea. You so okay, the right person. you just piqued my interest again. So if you have an exam, let's say, which is, I think it, that's pretty clever. 
What kind of questions yeah. and what are you looking for? I ask them, what's a CMHC loan? What's a conventional loan? If you're a brand new agent and you don't know those questions, I'm not hiring you. Right. Sorry. I could develop your skills, but if you pass the REMIC course, you would know those type of questions. More about ethics as well. What would you do if uh, you went to another real estate broker and took it from one of the agents inside the office? What would be the challenges that you face with that? Or what would you do as far as ethically? Right. Um, those are like the challenge exams that we have. I'm a lenient. Yes. You know what? If they pass with 80%, I really like the person. They're on board. But agents, not an issue with the agents inside the brokerage, except for handling some of their deals. Like some deals these days, I mean, it's very challenging. Just yeah, uh, yeah. the last maybe seven months, seven months, but never had yeah, any other issues with them. I have issues with, yeah, definitely hiring staff inside the office, finding the appropriate person. This work from home thing really challenging in the same time. I don't always like to be on my phone, but I, I am just because a lot of people work from home. Not a lot of people work in the office. You're juggling with Dubai. You're juggling with um, California. You're talking to your peeps in Toronto as well. And our VPs in Toronto. So yeah, she delegates Toronto marketplace. I delegate Ottawa and I delegate Dubai and California. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Interesting. As an entrepreneur, what's something that you failed at, but now looking back, it was a lesson for you. Yeah. What did I fail? I literally fail almost every month on something. You know what? This is a good failure that taught me a lesson. Then I, I spoke to somebody about it. I still do deals, by the way, here and there with very good clients yeah. of mine. I lost a $700,000 deal to an Uber driver. No. So how? It's the best. He gave him the best rate that ever existed on the market. I couldn't challenge that. I mean, I could have. I mean, I could have brought it down and made like 20 basis points, but I guess the Uber driver needed it more than I did. And I still retained him as a client with his rental properties. But yeah, you know, you learn from that. I failed in not giving that client, you know, the same rate or challenged it or sent it off somewhere else. Yeah, that's interesting. So what would your friends say is your superpower? People know you really well. If they said, you know, Danny is really good at X. What would it be? Communicating. Actually, you know what? Somebody wrote this for me, but they wrote a closer. <laughs> that's my superpower is closing. I guess I could close anything almost like I could close the door behind me. Right. People who are the best at sales. Don't feel like they're sales. I got a couple of buddies that are, they're so good at it. And yet that's what I think when you're really good, when you're at a level where it's like you're being sold and you don't even know it, or you don't know, you don't know, it, but you're just like the whole experience is great for both people. And that's when you're good. And there's people that I've met that are like that. They're like, dang, these people are like, you know, really good. Yeah. 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 I think that's my superpower. What's the biggest change you made to your business in the last 12 months? I mean, you started the Dubai operation, but outside of that, was there anything else that you've done in the last 12 months? Yeah, I'm dabbling around with artificial intelligence when it comes to social media posts and interactions with clients through email. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Sometimes we don't necessarily have to be typing out emails right now when AI takes care of it or knows the answers that we were putting in. So yeah, that's the last 12 months that, that I've been working on. Imagine AI could read all of your received and sent emails and come back and say, okay, I think I know you're going to answer this. And you'd be like, yeah, dang, how come you're so good at it, right? The client gets a response back after he sends the email within three seconds. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, but then they'd be like, you might want to delay it so that it doesn't feel quite so like automated, but unless you, I don't know. Oh, you, for sure. You don't have to. 
Yeah, that's interesting. We've been experimenting with the AI too. We're using it more as an enhancement to coaching. So we've trained a AI on all, we've got like 180 training videos. And so we've trained it in all these. And so you can ask it any sales related question and it'll answer using the chat GPT engine and our yeah. data set, it'll answer it like a, one of our top coaches. And it's actually pretty dang good. So we haven't rolled it out to our people yet, but my hope is, is that it'll make the time for them to get an answer quicker. So do you have that, like that bot that's doing it mechanically? I don't, we're not using Synthesia, so it's more of a chat bot, you know, but it's not a like, hey, it doesn't talk to you. I suppose that could be the next step, but like I can read faster than somebody talking. Like if, I, if I'm trying to get an answer quick, I'll skim read because you often will skip words and stuff. So like I think yep. initially the way to do it is simply, but it would be an interesting experiment, create a coach from the material and then just be like, it actually then talks it. So that would be an interesting thing to play with. What are you finding on the next 90 days or what are you looking at right now? You know, what's in the future for you? Yeah. So I'm leaving to Dubai in the next couple of days. I'll be there. And I got offered a partnership with somebody else in Singapore to open up a brokerage. Again, key rate, have people from Singapore and Dubai, just it's a good vibe, good mixture. So I might check it out. I might look forward to building that up in Singapore as well. I don't know anything about the market there, but they said it's yep. very promising. So yeah, we'll look into that in the next 90 days. Awesome. Well, I'll be chatting with you more because I'm definitely interested in some of the things you're doing. Some of the stuff is overlapped to what we're planning. I've coached mortgage brokers from the UK. I didn't even know Dubai had like a that sort of market in Australia. And then Singapore, again, it's interesting. I guess it's all the same stuff. It's just mortgages. And then it's understanding the financial products and the regulatory environment. And is there a way to make money? Yeah. Like, you know, the regulations... In Dubai, I mean, there's one source out there that would sign off. It's not a course. It's a, your brokerage license. There's one person that does that and signs off on it. So we're the first Canadian brokerage to enter into Dubai, the city or mm -hmm. the country of the UAE. Yeah. If anybody feels like they want to do anything in Dubai, you could reach out to me. Got you too, yeah. obviously. I would love you, you know. We'll make it happen. Yeah, dude, it'll be amazing. So let me ask some rapid fire questions. You can answer the shorter answers. What's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? I'm passionate about cars. I love cars. I love watches. I don't think you can find that on me on Google. Ever since you saw that yeah, mortgage think... guy in a Ferrari throwing his business card to you in your Nissan with roll down windows. See the detail that you shared <laughs> in that story. My son loves cars. I really, I'm like, you know, if there was an automated car that I could get in and just drive me and I could not pay attention, I'd probably be happy. It's called a bus, but that's just not that cool. <laughs> you know, like not automated. <laughs> but like, you know, everybody has their thing. So that's cars and watches. That's cool. Okay. What's a movie everybody should watch at least once? The Beach. Oh, it's, yeah. Uh, with Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. I mean, if I ever pictured my perfect life without a computer or a cell phone reception, it would be on that beach. I think it's somewhere in Thailand. I need to watch that movie again. But the beach. Minus the drug dealers that want to kill you. I think there was drug dealers so, that wanted to kill you in that movie. So that was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was the only the outside. And he was on shrooms running through like the forest or something. Right. That's something hilarious. like that. Yeah. What's the one software program or digital tool you can't run your business without? I like to promote Mortgage Automator because we do have our fund as well, which is like over 150 million through Mortgage Fund Capital. On the brokering side would be Fiologics, obviously. I think that everyone uses Fiologics. Everyone keeps on forgetting that that is one of the best marketing tools that you could use. And that is essentially your CRM. And in Canada, I can't live without Biologics and Mortgage Automator. Right. What do you think is going to happen with rates in the next 12 months? Unpredictable. It's difficult to predict with certainty what will happen with interest rates in Canada over the next 12 months. It's possible that rates will remain low in the short term. 
to support economic recovery. However, it's important to stay informed about the economy and market conditions and adjust our strategies accordingly. But I think November, you'd start seeing rates dropping down. Right. And then last question. So remember the movie Back to the Future, DeLorean, if I could put you in the car and send you back to when you know you first started as a mortgage broker, what would be the advice you'd give yourself? The harder you work, the luckier you get. I started at 21. I took a lot of things for granted. I did extremely well, but I could have done a lot more at 21. I'm 39 right now. I believe I could have done a lot more back then. And, you know, nurture clients more. And if I could tell anybody anything, if I went back to the future, would be actually hanging on to every single transaction that you ever done and keeping that lead with you. No one pays off a million dollar mortgage in 25 years. So if you're doing financing for somebody that's in their 30s, they're either going to sell, upgrade, have a mortgage. It's almost like red for life. And then you could keep on refinancing or working with that specific client, get them rental properties, purchase their dream homes. They get divorced, you know, separation. You got those two families. And then after you're separating yourself from them and then more properties. I don't know. There's a mixture of things. But if you take me back to the future, nurture your clients, harder you work, the luckier you get. Right. Basically, keep track of your database and imagine what most mortgage business would look like if you never lost a client and they came back again and again, how much business like so at one point you wouldn't even need to do no marketing. We all just, you know, fast clients and referrals. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. That's amazing. Danny, man, you're a clever guy. I have to say my hat tip to you, brother, with some of the stuff that you're doing. And we will definitely Thank be you. talking again. I'm excited to see what you do with this whole Dubai thing. And yeah, it's very cool. I really appreciate it, Scott. Coming for you. I mean, you're amazing in this industry and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay. Good to chat with you, brother. You too, man. Have a great day. Hey, hopefully you got a couple ideas from my conversation with Danny. I know that the whole Dubai thing is super cool. I would love to eventually have something there as well. I think that's awesome. And just a totally different world in terms of how that works. In this next segment, I'm going to be talking to Ben McCabe from Bloom about using reverse mortgage as a bridge to retirement. Hey, Ben, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, good to be here. So, hey, tell me a little bit about uh, what topic we're going to jump into today when it comes to reverse mortgages. Yeah, so I figured let's chat about like one use case for reverse mortgages that we haven't talked a lot about. And, you know, by way of talking about a client story that we recently closed. And that's basically, you know, using a reverse mortgage to bridge a client to their retirement benefits. And I'll explain what I mean. So like one of the things that's been kind of eye-opening to me in the reverse mortgage business and looking at sort of tons of, you know, senior applicants is just how many Canadians are relying on CPP and OAS and GIS to support their retirements, right? And, you know, these aren't perfect programs and you're not going to be living super, super well if that's your only income, but they're pretty good programs, right? And they create a safety net for older Canadians. But I think that's also been like equally eye-opening to me is just how poor of a safety net there is for people. If for whatever reason you can't work, whether that's because of a health issue, disability, whatever it is, but you don't yet age qualify for OAS and CPP. There's just not nearly the same like amount of protections in place for people in that situation. But a reverse mortgage, if you're over the age of 55, can be a really, really powerful solution to bridge you until the age at which point you would qualify for that type of solution. Right. So give me an example. I think you said you had somebody recently do this. So obviously no names, but give me numbers of like how they put this together to bridge them until they got to the yeah. 65. Yeah. So we just, we just recently closed a deal for a client in Vernon in BC and she's 58 years old. Okay. 
And a few years back, she suffered a you know, traumatic non-workplace injury, and she was basically rendered unable to work. And then she moved into with her mother. She was basically acting as a caretaker to her mother, and her mother passed away last year. And here's the thing is they've been living on her mother's CPP and OAS benefits. Okay. That was like the primary source of income, but now that source of income has gone, right? So at 58, she wasn't able to qualify for CPP, let alone OAS, which, so CPP kicks in at, you know, 60, typically OAS at 65. And so the only income she had was BC, like provincial disability pension, which is just like categorically not enough to live, like full stop, not enough to live. And so that's basically the situation that she came to us with. Okay. So basically, just so I'm clear, you've got situation where they were basically relying on this income. It didn't matter that it was, it happened to be OES and CPP, but it could be anything. And then she's not able to go back to work, but she's also not old enough to collect the pension income. And so in her scenario, it's like her options would be sell the property, right? Be forced to sell it, which probably doesn't want to do. Or like maybe she had some other family member co-signer, but that's probably didn't sound like it was a possibility. So it was like, okay, how do I keep my house so that when my benefits kick in, I can actually now afford to stay here. Yeah. So yeah, it's exactly. I mean, it's yeah. just like she just was basically sitting on like a, a series of bad choices, right? Bad options, right? Like it's just there's not a lot of options for somebody in that situation, right? So in terms of, you know, how can a reverse mortgage help in this situation? We don't completely ignore income for reverse mortgages. We've talked about before. We need to make sure that the client has enough money to be able to, you know, keep up with their property obligations. But even in this case, you know, the disability pension alone wouldn't be enough to do that, right? Like we wouldn't be able to pull for the applicants on that because there's just no okay. Right, so like, she had the disability income, but not the CPP and OAS yet. Yeah. Like we're talking like low hundreds of dollars a month. It's just not nearly enough. Right. So, however, the house that she inherited from her mother is free and clear. Okay. And for her, I mean, she was younger. Obviously, she was, you know, close to the minimum age at 58. So we could authorize her for 148K. And the way that we think about it at Bloom, when we think about what that translates to in terms of like an annual income amount is for every client, we're calculating like an expected occupancy term. It's like an actuarial calculation, right? We're taking into account life expectancy, stuff like that. So quite simply, we'll just take that full authorized amount and we'll divide that by what we calculate as her expected occupancy term. So in this case, it was around 15 years. So for her, we're adding 10K per year to her qualifying income for our purposes. Okay. Right. Now, when we added that 10K, that was enough for us. That cleared the hurdle of like property taxes, insurance, and, you know, when you add that to her disability pension, that that was enough to qualify. So, okay, so she's in the game now. Now, we don't actually expect her to only draw 10K per year because that's still not a lot to live on. So rather, the way we thought about it was as a bridge solution. Okay, so she's 58 years old. She's going to be CPP eligible soon. And then when she hits 65, she's going to be old age security, like OAS and GIS eligible. Okay, so basically what we do in that case is we'll say that 148K that we authorized her for, let's not divide it by 15, let's divide it by seven, because seven is the number of years until she turns 65. So in that case, that's 21K per year. Okay, now she's right. not going to be, you know, she's not high flying, but that's enough to live, right? That's, that's not what she was probably getting from her mom when her mom was alive. Right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And doesn't need to make a mortgage payment. Never not like a lot of unsecured debts. So that's 21, you know, clearing that to our bank accounts, you know, that's enough to live, right? So in this case, a reverse mortgage was a perfect solution for her to bridge from that, you know, 58 to 65, that seven year period to make sure that she, you know, got to the point where she could live a little more comfortably. Right. And if you think about the other options would be, let's say she decided to sell it. Well, you got real estate fees, there's money gone right off the top. You also now have to move somewhere and she's probably going to but likely be renting because you're not going to buy for less money potentially and rents as you guys know are going up so this scenario the reverse mortgage is way better than selling and renting because that rent is only going to get more expensive over time and so yeah i think it's interesting like how you analyze it i mean besides from the fact that you you know you obviously got to be over 55 
there's certain criteria. So when somebody's listening to this, give me some criteria, the other things you look for in a reverse mortgage to qualify. So if one is over 55, tell me about some of the other sort of check boxes that somebody would need to meet in order for it to work. Yeah, I mean, it is, there's not a huge number of qualifications. You need to be over 55. Obviously, you need to be either sole or joint title holder of the home. All title holders on the home need to be 55 plus. The home needs to be in you know, a reasonable condition. And basically, we just need to know that you have sufficient income to be able to sustain your property obligations. Right. And I guess the other thing would be that we can authorize enough reverse mortgage proceeds to pay out any existing indebtedness you have against the house. So let's see your house is levered up to 80%. It's going to be tough to make a reverse mortgage work. But if there's not a huge amount of mortgage debt on the home, if we can authorize enough money to pay that out, then you know most applicants that fit that bill can qualify. I think this is great in terms of just getting brokers to look at different ways to solve problems, as opposed to like maybe a private mortgage or something, which is always obviously going to be expensive. I think that this can be a fantastic way to think long-term. And if it was my family member, I would rather somebody do this than set them up with a private mortgage that's going to just get more expensive over time and eat up all their equity. So- any last thoughts on this? Exactly. And who's to say if she got into a private now that, you know, she'd be able to consistently refinance over the next seven years, right? So and do, will they renew? And will like exactly. the thing is some of them aren't even renewing right now because they're exactly. like, like the they don't have the money. Good. So then you have that. Now you have more fees to move to it somewhere else. That's a risky game to get into, right? So this is, it's a different type of bridge financing, right? It's not bridge financing in the sense that you're going to pay it out, but, you know, it's going to provide a bridge solution to somebody to get to the age where they qualify for, you know, Canada's social safety net. Yeah, Bridge to Retirement. So if you guys are listening to this, I encourage you to check out Ben's company, bloomfin.ca. They're the fastest growing reverse mortgage company in Canada. They're doing amazing things. They've got some other unique products that are going to be coming out that help serve the 55 plus market. So keep your ears open for that. And uh, Ben, thanks for chatting with me, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Scott. Hey, thanks again for listening to this. If you're a new mortgage broker trying to figure out what to do with your business, go to rookie2rockstar.ca. We have a webinar there. We show you how we'll help you find and fund your first 10 mortgages. If you're an experienced mortgage broker, go to ybrx.com and we have some amazing programs designed specifically to help our agents succeed. Check it out. Thanks again for listening to this episode and I will see you on the next show. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.